Hello, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, founder of Pasha Mama, and welcome to our conversation, In Conversation, the podcast where I speak to women's health practitioners, baby and toddler experts, mamas and mums-to-be, to find out about what they do and how their story can support you through modern motherhood. Let's get started, shall we? What is up, listeners? How are we? I hope um, you are well and looking forward to this week's episode. Um, My guest this week is single working mama Winnie Akajo, who is the founder and host of a brilliant podcast called Sassy Single Mums, which celebrates the stories of single mamas. Winnie's story um, is incredibly humbling and powerful um, in terms of what she's achieved in her life so far. And in this episode, we talk about the stigma that surrounds single mums versus single fathers, for example, and also the preconceptions that society has of, in inverted commas, the perfect household. We also touch on her relationship with her son and Winnie gives some pretty great advice for single mums, which actually also applies to all mums and women in general. It's about owning who you are and where you're at at all times. It's pretty great advice. She's pretty great. So sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Winnie, hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you, Ariana? I'm really well. Um, I'm really pleased that you're able to join us. I mean, we spoke, I think maybe like a few months ago now. So um, I've been waiting to waiting to have you on the podcast to talk about all the wonderful stuff that you're doing. Um, you. So why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and your background? Um, so I guess as a starting point, my name's Winnie. Um, I am a community manager. That's my day job, but I'm also a single mum. So I have a 13 year old son, which I had when I was quite young. And that motivated me to basically launch the podcast Sassy Single Mums, where I share the stories of other single mothers, because I guess for me, I know that I've accomplished more than what society expects of a teenage mother, at least because, you know, I'm a teenage mum before I was even a single mum, I suppose. Um, So I guess knowing that that's been my journey, it's just made me realize that there are other women out there who have, you know, more stories, more, you know, other milestones that they may have walked through. And I really wanted to get that out through the podcast. And and it is, it's, it's an amazing podcast. Um, It's the episodes are just brilliant. And you really sort of champion um, single mums, as you say, sort of like challenging the status quo. I'd like to just ask you a little bit about what you said just then in terms of what society had expected of you. Um, what did you think society was expecting of you, expected of you versus how you met those challenges and how you worked ag- ag- essentially against what was expected of you really, right? Yes, I know exactly what you mean, Ariana. Um, so as a starting point, I think it became obvious to me that there were certain societal, um, I guess, stereotypes and judgments from when I realized that I became pregnant. So I got pregnant at 14. I was very young, I was in school. And, you know, at the time everybody had said to me, oh no, you can't have a baby. You know, you're not gonna get a job. You're not gonna be able to finish your education. So I wasn't even aware that these kind of judgments existed. And that was very much the beginning of when I kind of came to a realization of what was up against me. So all of a sudden where, 
I was in school and, you know, school was fun and I was enjoying it. Um, it was now like, okay, I really need to finish school and I need to make sure that I get my head down and I get good grades because all of a sudden this is things that I can't do, you know, and it kind of all just went from there. Gosh, that is, um, you know, it's all relative, but yes, 14 is a very, very young age. Um, so when you fell pregnant and you told your family or the support system that you had around you at the time about um, that you were pregnant, and as you say, the initial reactions were, oh, you, you've got to finish school, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Um, did you did you ever let that those thoughts impact um your decision-making process or did you think no I, I can actually do both I can have I can have finished school and have a child and it will be fine well I guess at the time I was in a situation where I, I wasn't actually around my family so I wasn't around like my direct family um, I was living in foster care um, so it meant that I really was in need of like a family so it was something that I decided pretty headstrong that I want to do this and it's not that I didn't have doubts throughout the pregnancy um, or even after, but at the time, um, my reasoning as to why I wanted to do it outweighed all of like, you know, the challenges which were kind of like, which were set or expected to kind of come. That is amazing. And, and how did you, um, how did you actually deal with having a, a baby whilst also being essentially a, a baby yourself in so many ways? But how did you, you know, logistically manage with a, with a, with a newborn and trying to study, for example? Well, I guess as a starting point, so I actually ended up going, moving back in with family, but I moved in with like my auntie. So this was after, this was like whilst I was about nine, just about seven to eight months pregnant. Um, I moved in with my auntie because if I'm completely honest, and I know this might sound crazy to some people, but I'm a big believer in the fact that some people have just been placed in my life for like the right reasons and they've kind of helped guide me through my journey. So when I was in, um, when I was in care, um, I had a key worker who had said to me, you know, like, you can't do this on your own. Like you can't go to a, um, like a mother and care um, unit or hostel and look after your child because you're so young and they will look at every single thing that you do and the slightest you know the slightest fault the slightest thing that you do wrong they will use that as an opportunity to separate you from your child and I really trusted her because at the time I was young and I was prior to being in care I was just kind of floating around, doing whatever I wanted, just being carefree, et cetera. And I didn't really have anyone who I, don't, I felt like generally cared for me. I had my best interest at heart. So it was when I came across this care worker, obviously after a period of time, I learned that she was somebody that I could really trust. Um, so I decided to go back to family because my family at the time were also trying to like, you know, see if there was a possibility for me to move back home, not with my mum, who I've previously lived with, but with my mum's older sister and so on. Uh, and because of the advice that my key worker had given me, I decided that I was going to move back with family. Um, if it wasn't for her, I might have just gone off and done it on my own, which I could have regretted. Um, so I do feel really grateful for the fact that she told me to move in with my auntie. Um, so I lived with my auntie for the first like 18 months 
and she pretty much helped me throughout the time when I was finishing school so my school were you know thankful <laughs> thankfully they allowed me to go back into school bearing in mind there was like an all-girls catholic school so I'd like broken all codes <laughs> like all codes um but they saw that you know they had some faith in me so they decided to let me to go back into school um so I went back in school and my auntie stayed with my son and I finished um year 10 and I finished year 11 um and then afterwards I started living on my own with my son um and then since then it's been how I guess he's driven me like he's definitely inspired me to continue working hard and to continue building something for ourselves even though there are times when I don't know how I've done it like I honestly don't know you know I've just woken up every day and each day I'm like I'm doing this for a reason I'm working towards something great for me and my son and I just push forward and here we are however many years later <laughs> That is, it's an amazing story. And I don't think you're crazy at all for saying that there are certain people who've been placed in your life. I totally believe in people as sort of guardian angels, whether they know it or not, sort of guiding you and directing you to make make the right decisions or make decisions that you probably may not have come to on your own. Um, so yay for that key worker who was, yeah. who was so pivotal and, and one that you could kind of trust so 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 easily. That's, that's really nice. Um, it's also amazing that you're, that you're saying that um, your son has inspired you and kind of motivates you to to just I guess keep going as as to so many children for so many parents. Yeah. Um, before we get onto your relationship with your son, I wanted to kind of go back just a little bit in terms of the reaction that you may have had when you were starting to kind of get jobs um, and things. Um, you know, you you were quite young, but you were also a single parent. So it's sort of like, I don't know, double stigmatized there in certain in certain instances. What were the reactions with, let's say, employers who you told that you had a kid and how did you manage those reactions? Um, great question. With work, so... I managed to finish. Um, I managed to finish secondary school, and I also managed to go to uni. And I busted my ass off, so I was lucky enough to graduate with a first, which was like a great. Thank you. It was like a great conversation, talking point because I think for when it comes to employers and hiring, they just want somebody who's able, you know, who's able to do the job, and somebody that they can trust to do the job. And I guess what's worked in my favor of the companies that I've worked with, at least the people who have hired me, because I have these additional responsibilities and because I like aspire to achieve so much, they've trusted me and they've always been like really, um, they've always looked up to me in a way, you know, if I remember my first interview after uni, the guy couldn't believe that I had a child and I had a first class degree and I had all of this stuff. And he was like, how do you do it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, he was really excited about hiring me. Um, and I can say that's definitely from my experience with most of my hiring managers. Where it's differed is probably in the workforce, in the workplace, um, because it's a completely different dynamic. And that's where you meet characters, sometimes people who are older than you, who have more experience than you. And all of a sudden you have this like, experience that they don't have or you know you, you're suddenly like you have this particular characteristic about you or you know this additional world that they don't necessarily know um, and that's been challenging because 
it's been and I think particularly sometimes in my personality because I am like I come in I just get the work done and I go and I'm really motivated to do well um, and it's never for anyone it's for myself but for other people they can feel really intimidated by that they can find that you know especially being a black woman with a child who's like so ambitious that can be quite difficult I've learned at least um, in a few of the jobs that I've had is that that can be quite difficult for some people um so that's where I've seen that dynamic play out but actually like interviewing and speaking to people about it I think it's one of the things that I've enjoyed so far and I guess also why I'm lucky is because um I had my son when I was quite young so by the time I was getting into the workplace um by the time I had my first job after uni this was 2015 this was five years ago so I was already like 22 23 um, and my son was, um, he was in school. So he had full-time education, he had after-school club. So it wouldn't be the same if I was to have a child now because there's like, you know, it's a completely different, it's just different raising a newborn than it is when they're like at school age. So I think that also worked in my favor. It still does a lot. Yeah, I can imagine that must've been quite quite difficult. How, how, did, you, how did you manage those people that, gave you a hard time about stuff did you just ignore them did you so something that you just had to sort of like learn to take on the chin or did you yeah or or did it motivate you to just work harder um I did it's something that I had to take on the chin um two things that I learned was that there are people who are going to respect me for like you know who I am and what I've accomplished and there are people who are just going to be like what the hell you know (laughs) so I've learned and I think I push myself closer to the people who do um, respect me and those who are like, you know what, you know, like, I don't know how you do it, but you're amazing. I want to meet your son. I want to get to know him better, etc. And less towards the people who almost act oblivious to like my everyday life, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I was going to ask, actually, do you think, and this is not just generally within the workplace, but I think just generally in society, do you think that there is more stigma around single mums versus single dads, for example? Absolutely. I think there is a lot of stigma attached to being a single mum. And I think a lot of it comes from just um, societal changes over the recent years. So if we think in the 80s and like early millennium, a lot of women, it just changed the meaning of households, what it meant to be in a household, how women were able to be mothers and stuff started to change. Before that, it was very traditional families, man, female, woman, etc. Um, and I think once women became more empowered to run their own households and become single mothers, there then became this judgment around it. It was almost like, oh, you know, single mums this, single mums that. And then Following that, you had like the benefits era where a lot of people were on low income. So some people abused it and, you know, did whatever they wanted to do. And others actually used it to help themselves and to help their household. So that also added an additional layer. Um, And then when you think about Christianity, cultures, I mean, so not even Christianity, I mean, religion, um, cultures, um, just ethnicities, all of these things can kind of add on to it. Because, and to give you an example, I'm African, I'm Congolese. So when I think about, but I've grown up in the UK, 
so when I think about like the UK perception of like single moms, it's like, oh, benefits, council flat, whatever, leaning off the government. There's like generic stereotypes. But then when I think about like the cultural stereotypes, it's also like, you're not married, it's a shame to your family. How could you have a baby on your own, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those stigmas kind of add on and they, they exist around everyone in different ways. Um, and I think that's why there is a lot of pressure on women when they are single moms, because there's so many other judgments and stereotypes attached to women already, that this is just like another thing that they have to try and avoid or do the right way or think before and so on. So it's frustrating. <laughs> um, it's really frustrating that that's what it boils down to. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a stigma because it's not the same for men, you know, because as we know in society, men are allowed to get away with a lot of the things that women aren't allowed. So when we look at it in that way, something even just as being a single father, yeah, that's so much more acceptable than being a single mum. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 um, I can't believe we still live in a world where it's, it's so different for one, one gender and another, you know. Um, how do you think we can start to, start to remove some of that stigma is it like for example what exactly what you're doing sharing the words of other single mothers through your podcast and everything else is it just kind of sharing stories because as you say so many so many people will myself included will jump to assumptions as to why somebody is a single parent and without knowing the story there's just no way that I would know that whether it's true or not so do you think it's about just sharing more, just being more open about everyone's situations? Um, I can't say I know the absolute answer, but I do know that we live in a very data-driven world now and we make a lot of judgments based on data and we're able to tell a lot of things, how things are formed based on data. Um, there was a lot of, there's a lot of data and a lot of research which kind of backs why it's important, you know, why kids, can benefit from living in same parent, you know, in a two parent household and so on and so on. And I think we need to get to a place where that data can also exist for single parents. Um, because sharing the stories on Sassy Single Moms is only a small percentage, very small, small percentage of the wider population. Um, and I think once we're able to see that, you know, single parents, kids, end up being like in the championships and end up doing these things and end up being like there are so many great success stories out there of kids who've been raised by like single moms single dads and that have gone on to be phenomenal phenom whatever like amazing um so until we get a lot of that data and we share it out and also as women push to be accepted for you know who they are and what they want to do and how they want to live their lives then yeah we'll definitely get to a place where um, the narrative will change, you know, it won't necessarily be that stigma attached to it. It would just be like, oh yeah, they're a single parent family. And this is just what single parents do, single families do. And this is how they live. And this is how much it costs to live and so on and so on. I don't know if you've heard of um, this Canadian comedian called Catherine Ryan. I'm a little bit obsessed with her. She has this show on Netflix at the moment called The Duchess, which is like Marmite, people either love it or hate it. Um, but before the filming of The Duchess, she has a stand-up comedy um, performance where she actually talks about 
um, her single motherhood. She's a single mother and she, she raises her, she's, you know, talks about raising her um, half British daughter um, and what single parenting looks like to her and the kind of stigmas and, and judgments that she gets kind of surrounding that. And you're totally right. It, it's, it's, it's all of these preconceptions that people have about why somebody is single based on absolutely nothing. Um, and I guess not maybe nothing, but based on their own idea of what parenting should look like, but anything that deviates from what you would think is what you want for yourself, people are slightly or can feel slightly maybe, I don't know, intimidated, uncomfortable, uh, questioning why, as assuming that something is wrong rather than (laughs) that person making that choice. And obviously not everyone has a choice, but in Catherine Ryan's situation, she was saying, you know, people felt sorry for her that she was a single parent, but she was saying, no, I asked him to leave. I wanted to be on my own. And it's really interesting that you say about the data-driven points, because you're absolutely right in the, anyway, from the sort of research and things that I've been been seeing through Pashamama, it it does, it talks about the benefits of a of a dual parent household, a, a female and a male presence. Um, and I don't think, as you say, there's enough to support single parent households at all. That being said, did you ever, were you ever concerned about um, or want for, um, and I don't know the the setup um, that you had uh, as, you know, you were raising your, your son, but did you ever worry about a lack thereof or want for a male presence in your son's life? So for me, I think my son's dad has been a part of his life pretty much from the day he was born. So even though we're not together, he has been a part of his life. Uh, But alongside that, I have also, um, I do have like male cousins, uncles and um, like male figures in my family. But if it wasn't for that as well, I think just growing up, I think outside of that, like sports is a really good way that he's been able to be around other male figures, be around other boys, um, building relationships with just like his friends and making sure that they're all really active and playing a part um, in his life has also been a way that I've tried to enforce it, irrespective of like his dad and so on. Um, I think it is important, especially when you're raising a boy, or I think it's something that parents feel like is lacking if they're not able to provide a male presence to their child or if there isn't a father around. Um, So yeah, I do feel like it can have an impact, but then I, what, one thing that I, I can't, I don't know for sure. And I can't answer is whether people feel like because the male figure isn't there, they're lacking or whether it's actually fine. You know, I don't know. I don't know. There could be, I could be completely wrong, but yeah, it's just interesting because if you think about it in terms of like um, gay or lesbian couples, they don't have that other figure in that sense. Um, So it's just kind of falls back into that whole data point. Like, do we actually know if these things are necessarily what it, what is needed to raise a healthy, happy child. Um, I don't know. 
And I don't expect you to know the answer, but as you say, um, there are perfectly happy, healthy, single, and also same-sex parents that raise happy, healthy children. So yeah, um, yeah again, I think you're, you're right in terms of it coming down to data and actually what, as a society, we see, or we've become, uh, you know, acclimatized to what is, um, you know, the, the, in air quotes, perfect family, when actually... <laughs> Yeah. Love is, if you're providing, you know, a, a safe and, and loving and nurturing environment, regardless of gender or the number of people in that household, um, I think is probably one of the most, if not the most important things. Um, I want to move on and talk a little bit about your relationship um, with your son. You mentioned that um, he really kind of inspires you. Um, he did before and he kind of continues to do so now. What is your relationship like with your son um, in terms of, you know, parent versus friend? How, how, is, how has that relationship blossomed and kind of nurtured over the years? So it's definitely changed. Um, I think when, before he became a grumpy teen, um, th- that age dynamic didn't really exist because he wasn't aware of it in that way. Um, I think it was actually through like school and through all of this stuff, he's now come to realize how close we are in age. So before that, it was just, I was his mom and he was my son. So um, we've always had a really close relationship. Um, I think I've always known that obviously he's like an extension of me, we're a family, he is. So I've always made sure that we have, a we get on and that, you know, we have a good understanding of like what frustrates each other, what makes each other happy and, all of this stuff. So I would say we're really close. Um, he is a bit of a mummy's boy. Um, now that he's gotten older, now that he's in his teen years, um, we are, I guess it's a little bit more different, isn't it? Because it does. that's when it does become so obvious how close we are in age. So there are certain, I guess, music or artists, whatever that I won't listen to around him because I don't want him to feel like, oh, because I listen to that, he can listen to it too, or he can do certain things just because I'm doing it. So I am more conscious of my behavior around him. Um, But it does mean that I can speak to him from a kind of, I can get on his level because I'm not too far away from it. Um, I still pretty much understand what he's experiencing and so on. So there are moments I can pull him to the side and be like, hey, you know, this is what I've noticed. This is what can lead to like, you know, I can give him examples and show him how he can like look at the better perception. So that has helped. Um, I think for me, one of my parenting styles has never been around fear, it's been around respect. Um, and this is not one of the things that I can say that I've done right or wrong. Um, but I think because I always knew that we were close in age, I knew that fear just wouldn't work because we'd get to a point where it's like, well, he's taller than me. He's like, realizes how close to our age. He's not really gonna be that scared of me anymore, is he? Um, Although I don't think fear is the right way to go about it, he wouldn't be. So I always optimize for respect, like from when he was very young. And I always said to him, you know, like, I need you to respect me so that I can respect you, you know? And that's always, so I treat him like, you know, a human grown human person. And if I've done something wrong, I'll say sorry. If he's done something wrong, I expect him to say sorry. And I just speak to him in a really realistic way. So he is a little bit grown in that sense. Um, 
but I do appreciate that our situation's different. So I chose to have this kind of relationship with him rather than trying to like dictate him and you know tell him what to do and like you know be one up on him all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless of age, it does sound like an incredible way to want to parent in, in terms of parenting around respect, as you say, which I think is really what anyone ultimately really wants that, that kind of like respectful, trusting relationship. So um, Winnie sounds it's like hard. you're nailing it. <laughs> no, it's hard and I don't always listen because a lot of the time it's like, yeah, mom, yeah, I'm on my way. Yeah, I'm coming. And it's like 20 minutes later, you know, but at least I know that if there is something wrong, if he has any issues or whatever, he'll tell me. So I don't have to worry or overthink and all of this stuff. Yeah, I guess it's about those moments of, when he really does need you or he's in trouble or he needs support or he wants advice, he knows that you will be there and that you will, that you, that you are able to support him as and when he needs it, which is, which is a really wonderful thing. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, are you single now? Are you still, are you still single or are you seeing someone at the moment? Are we, am I allowed to ask that question? <laughs> I am seeing someone at the moment um, I have been in and out of relationships throughout the years I think the longest I've been single was three years um, which was fun it was a big learning curve but yeah I am seeing somebody at the moment so my question may now not necessarily apply but I wanted to ask whether you felt as though there's something quite freeing about being one single and two a single parent do you find it yeah. quite freeing? Absolutely. And I guess it's one of the things that I tell, it's one of the things that I tell a lot of the mums that come on the podcast is that, you know, I'm a woman or I'm a mum, I have my needs as a woman. And then obviously I have my needs and I have my responsibilities as a mother. So yeah, I do definitely think like, you know, I am single and then I'm also a mum. And I do sometimes use that to my advantage in the sense that if I want to date, if I want to, you know, see somebody I can do um but then at times if I just don't want to focus on that and just purely focus on my, um, on my son and like my work and whatever I can do as well so I have tapped into both of those worlds and that's I mean awesome when you you're you're such a <laughs> I've been like wonderfully inspired and humbled by what you what you've achieved I, I think it's absolutely incredible um what is there, is there anything else that that you want to kind of share with our listeners if they are single parent um any sort of advice that you might be able to kind of give or share um so yeah so i think any advice that i'd give to women out there who perhaps may be single mothers is that you have to you have to own your story and when i say own your story is that you just have to be comfortable with who you are where you're at and the journey that you're going on because ultimately it is about, you know, finding yourself, giving your child the best life. But until you accept kind of like, you know, I can talk so freely about like my upbringing. I've taken the time to like understand who I am as an individual, what my experiences have been, how I should incorporate that into my parenting and so on, rather than looking at what anybody else is doing or trying to compete with what society expects you to do or the rule book, just really ask yourself, what can I achieve? What do I want to do? And just commit to that and just do it. And that enough will get you somewhere to a point where you should be proud of what you've accomplished. 
That is, that's a wonderful sentiment and an incredible place, um, I think, to close. Own your story. I couldn't, I couldn't love that, that phrase uh, more. Winnie, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful talking to you. I can't wait to share your story and also the stories of the other single mothers that you've, you've put on your podcast with our community. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I've had a really great time. Good. Thank <laughs> you.